Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience. Very auspicious beginning. Sure, the talk show. You know, people phone in and make a beef. Oh, what about? Whatever happens to bug you, that's what you talk about. Sometimes he agrees with the caller, other times he sets him straight. I'll admit it. I will eat my neighbors. I'm not letting my kids die. I'll, I'm just going to be honest. My superpowers being honest, I've extrapolated this out, and I won't have to for a few years since I got food and stuff, but I'm literally looking at my neighbors now and going, I'm ready to hang them up and gut them and skin them and chop them up. You know what? I'm ready. My daughters aren't starving to death. I'll eat my neighbors. See, my superpowers being honest, I'll eat your ass. Hey, you today. I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Nice to see you. Have a nice day. Hi, I was wondering if this was the same Chris T who does um, the radio show. Because um, if it is, I think your show is really great. Um, but if it isn't, um, I'm sorry to have bothered you. Yeah, you bet your sweets, Mr. Kami. a fabulous disaster. He's a symbol, metaphor, embodies the dementia of a nihilistic generation. He's a star. <laughs> you know, Chris, the, the thing about being upset is that besides it sometimes being a turn on to women, is that it's not a state that you really want to be in when you make an important decision. Good thing I don't have any important decisions coming up. Okay, maybe I have a few important decisions. It's quite possible. It's me, Chris T, here on thehoundnyc.com, where every Sunday at 3 p.m., uh, Hound Howl, followed by Crash and the Party, the doo-wop chop shop of the year with Mark and Miriam. Feel free to ask them, do you have those doo-wops on vinyl? The answer is, of course. Of course we got those doo-wops on vinyl. What do you think this is? All right, calm down. Calm down, Chris. Calm down. It's all going to be okay. Just keep telling yourself that. It's all going to be okay. Although uh, the threat index or whatever they call that damn thing that lets you know how close we may be to a nuclear war is, uh, you know, heating up. What you call. That's why this uh, particular edition of Aerial View is called the Beware the Ides of March, eh? And in just a few... I'll welcome my special guest, returning constitutional law scholar, professor of law, Ken Katkin, from the Salmon P. Chase College of Law, Northern Kentucky University. He'll join me for, uh, what is this, the 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth time? Could be a dozen. Who the hell knows? 
Of course we'll talk about the Supreme Court, but so many other things as well. He's the host of Trash Flow Radio. And I think the last time he was here was might have been just before Elvis's birthday. So we'll get caught up on what's going on in his neck of the woods. But right now, let's talk about the end of the world for a moment. What do you say? How did you always imagine the end of the world? Is it by fire, by ice, some other form maybe? I always thought it would be a meteorite strike, like that Don't Look Up movie. Um, Of course, climate change is going to kill us all sooner or later, right? But I'd like to know how you think the world's going to end. 760-422-5528. 760-I-CALL-AV. We've got a few moments before we welcome Ken Katkin, if you want to call in. 760-422-5528. That number's in Palm Springs. I am not. We're expecting another winter storm coming through this area tomorrow. There is a winter weather watch in effect from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. in our area tomorrow. Hudson County, New Jersey, in the Hawk. A wintry mix, my least favorite kind. And the possibility of one to three inches of snow. As always, I'd like to I'd like to deliver a message to snow. Go fuck yourself. It's kind of like what the Ukrainians are saying to the Russians. What a proud, defiant people. They are an inspiration to the world. Hopefully you have sent some money by now to an organization that's offering uh, support for what's going on in Ukraine. But if you haven't, you should do so. Let me call back whoever just called us. Like, I don't know who it is. Phil? Was that you? How are you? It was me. Yeah. How am I? How dare you ask that question? Sorry. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm nervous. I'm worried. Like we all should be, because we may be on the brink of World War III. I don't say that yep. lightly, and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. But Vladimir Putin, he's not a good person. And if anyone's going to use nuclear weapons, even tactical battlefield nuclear weapons, it's going to be him. But he could also reach for the big one. The big bamboo, you know, Phil. Yes. I could see him doing that, too. Let's take out, uh, oh, let's say New York City, for instance. In which case, I'm going to be vaporized. So is the sweet tea. And Roger and Marty. So how can you ask me how I'm doing? Things are not good in the world. The world very much on the edge of its seat collectively, waiting to see how this thing pans out. With Vladimir Putin and his decision to invade a uh, democratic nation under the flimsiest of pretexts, there isn't even a pretext, if we're being honest. And uh, what happens next is anybody's guess, but the shocks are already being felt all over the world in addition to the 
what is it, 1,300, 1,400 civilians, they're saying, Ukrainians who are dead now because of this? How many Russian soldiers who were mostly kids, teenagers, conscripts who had no idea they were going into war? But now, uh, according to the New York Times, Phil, the, uh, it says here, Russia renews ground push with relentless bombing. So they're going to just basically go medieval on Ukraine. They're going to try to bomb Ukraine back into the last century. And um, it's, you know, being felt all over the planet, of course. Uh, let me ask you, Phil, before I uh, say hello to Ken Katkin, what do you think of what's going on right now? How can you ask me that? Ah, uh, look, turnabout is fair play. <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, there's too much to say in such a short time. It is mind-boggling. Yes, well, we are living through fraught times. And I was born, I always say this, a month before the Cuban Missile Crisis, so I was too young to know what the hell that was all about. Uh, Maybe somehow that anxiety and nervousness and worry got transmitted to me as a one-month-old. Maybe I absorbed it, and that's why I haven't spent a, a moment of my life without feeling anxiety, nervousness, and worry. Could be, but we also live in very anxiety-provoking times. I mean, beyond the pandemic, now Putin has decided this is the time for him. What is it, 15, 16 days ago he invaded Ukraine? And I don't know where this is all headed. Neither does Phil. Something tells me. And uh, with that... Phil, yes? You want to say something else? Uh, no. Yeah. I, I guess the, the, the most intriguing question in my mind is, how can a human being be behind this? How mm. is it possible that this organism is so different from you and me? And then here's another question that comes to my mind. He knows he's killing hundreds of thousands or whatever it is. It could end up being millions of people for all we know. But let's take it. Let's let's start on a small scale. Let's say he's only going to kill a hundred, a couple hundred Ukrainians. Would he personally strangle them? Uh, he it's probably the has thing. strangled people. I don't doubt it. What, listen, but go what, look up the word sociopath in the dictionary and then uh, get back to me. In the meanwhile, I am going to... Welcome our guest tonight, Ken Kack, and thank you for the call, Phil. I do appreciate it, but uh, we got to get Ken on here and see what Ken thinks. First of all, we'll start out with another introduction in case you don't know uh, Ken Katkin. He is a constitutional scholar, professor of law of Salmon P. Chase College of Law, Northern, Northern Kentucky University. I always trip over that at some point. And the host of Trash Flow Radio on WAIF Radio uh, every Saturday. And, Ken, last we spoke, it was right around Elvis's birthday. And That's I was, right. I was going to come on your show and talk about Elvis and supercycles in Memphis, Tennessee, where he bought his tricycles, his uh, I ne- trikes. I never got to hear the story. You, you could, you, do you have time to tell it now? Yeah, well, there was a guy named Lou Elliott who owned Supercycles, and 
he was a, a Harley dealership in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, but it's not where apparently Elvis got his Harleys. It's where he bought his trikes. You know, those three-wheeled things? You remember? If you ever yeah. saw a 1960s Hell's Angel type of movie, there was always some guy on a trike. And right, so, like, a, like they would sometimes call those things choppers, right? Well, a chopper, generally speaking, had two wheels. A trike had three, so like one wheel in the front and three wheels in the back. Oh, I got for it. instance. So three wheels. I mean, two wheels yeah, two in the wheels back. In the a back. total of three wheels. Yes. What the hell am I saying? Right. Uh, by the way, it's Crash Flow Radio, three p.m. on Saturdays. I don't want to leave that part out, but uh, you can go to waifradio.org. To find out more and donate, if at all possible. But he told me that he would deliver the Clairol hair dye around the back of Graceland. He was also Elvis's hair dye dealer. And the problem is, when I went back to listen to the recording that I have, the, the interview I did with Lou Elliott back in the day, I think he's gone now, Lou Elliott. I don't even know if Supercycle is there anymore. I didn't hear the part where he told me about the uh, hair dye. So it may be that he told me off the record or <laughs> I cut that part out. I don't know. I do remember him telling me that because I was fascinated by the how, idea that. How long do you have to maintain a confidence if somebody, if you think somebody told you something off the record? Is that till the end of time or is there some kind of sunset where you can finally tell? I, I, I think now. Right about a half an hour ago. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. The end of the, so that was the, the end of on. any... <laughs> any confidentiality agreement we had between us. But uh, <laughs> hopefully your Elvis show went well. Is it out there that people can go and find it and listen to it and hear it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a, I, my archives, if people want to look for those, uh, there's a Trash Flow Radio mix cloud, um, which has all the archives on it. Um, and there's a Trash Flow Radio Facebook page, which you can, you know, go through it and find the archives to particular shows. Well... Uh, yeah, go and do that, because I'm sure it was a cracking good time. <laughs> Thank um, you. So let's just talk about the Supreme Court for a minute before we pivot to uh, wider issues. What was this uh, What was this decision handed down recently about uh, states' rights? In, in the voting, in the voting in... Uh, elections context? Yes. Yeah, that it, it wasn't a terrible decision. But there was a very alarming dissent that four four of the just justices joined. They couldn't find that fifth vote. Um, but um, you know th this question of gerrymandering. Um, so so as you know, Chris, re Republican legislators for for really about twenty years now, for almost the entire twenty first century, have been trying very hard to end um, competitive elections in this country by drawing um, congressional districts and state legislative districts in ways where they, they pack all the Democratic voters into just as few districts as possible and save the majority of the districts for, um, for to have non-competitive Republican elections. And this has been a thing. And there's there's um, under the law, there's two ways that that could be attacked. There's there's a fairly strong rule against racial gerrymandering. Racial gerrymandering is flatly illegal under both the 15th Amendment and, and under the, um, the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Um, it's sometimes hard to prove, and the Supreme Court has had a line of decisions making it harder to prove, um, but at least courts are still supposed to try to do something about that. Um, and then there's, there's partisan gerrymandering, 
where which isn't necessarily racial gerrymandering, although there could be some overlap. But the idea would be, well, what if what if um, the Republican legislatures are drawing districts to benefit Republicans, but not particularly to benefit whites over blacks? That's that's not a big part of it. Well, then that's not directly addressed by the Voting Rights Act or by the 15th Amendment, which prohibits race discrimination in voting. Um, and for a long time, the Supreme Court couldn't decide how to think about partisan gerrymandering. But just a couple of years ago, the Supreme Court came down with a decision, which you know, as all their decisions are, you know, are very much trying to give a give a a, a, a helping hand to the Republicans, um, where they said that the Supreme Court is not going to decide any cases that allege partisan gerrymandering unless they unless they can actually prove racial gerrymandering. Um, so all all other partisan gerrymandering cases that the court says we're not going to get into that. No federal courts are going to be allowed to get into that, but. Um, if people want to, um, if, if people in particular states don't like gerrymandering, then their state legislatures can pass laws against it, and their state supreme courts can enforce those laws. So, at, at, on the one hand, the Supreme Court washed its own hands of any responsibility, but on the other hand, it made it seem possible um, that there could still be some progress in in particular states. So, after that, um, a number of states, including my own state of Ohio actually did do um, ballot initiative and referendums where the voters would go to the polls and amend the state constitution. And a number of states now have um, amended their state constitutions to prohibit uh, partisan gerrymandering and to and to give the uh, courts the authority to do something about it. And, and, you know, that's exactly what the U.S. Supreme Court said should happen. The U.S. Supreme Court said, well, federal courts are staying out, but if if people in states amend their state constitutions and empower their own state courts, that, that's how they can fight against gerrymandering. So now that that's happened in a few states, um, a few state Supreme Courts are actually starting to rely on some of these recent state constitutional amendments to overturn very gerrymandered maps um, that the Republican legislatures are still coming up with. Um, it's happened uh, recently in Ohio. It's happened recently in North Carolina. It's happened recently in Pennsylvania. And, um, and and just to interrupt for a second, this is along the general theory that Republicans hold, which is that any checks on their power are somehow illegitimate. Yeah, and in fact, that any competitive elections are somehow illegitimate, right? And and they've been extremely successful at that. You know, the United States is not really a democracy in any real sense today. Because the the large, you know, for many reasons, but one of the reasons is the very large majority of Americans live in places, and I think this is true for both you and me, where um, uh, it's already known who's going to win the congressional um, election in my, in my district, and I imagine in your district too, um, you know, that it's not actually competitive, right? That there's a party that owns that district, and whoever their nominee is going to is going to win it. Um, that that's the rule for almost all Americans in congressional elections and in state legislative elections. So it's not like it's not like most people can go in on election day and have there be some some mystery about which candidate's going to be the winner um, if we're talking about a congressional election. That can sometimes happen in some states in senatorial elections because the Senate isn't as susceptible of gerrymandering. All the elections are statewide and some of the states are competitive, although most of them aren't. Um, but, you know, in, in the states that are competitive, you could have a competitive Senate election. But it's it's pretty unusual to have a place where you could have a competitive um, congressional election anymore. And so to the extent that people are trying to do something about that and say, well, we should have competitive 
congressional elections, and we should have competitive state legislative elections. And they're going into their going through the whole process of amending their state constitutions to require that. Um, well, now now that we start having some state supreme courts that are actually sticking up for those amendments and enforcing them, and telling these Republican legislatures. Uh, you, you you can't keep uh, gerrymandering all the time. You have to draw maps that will have fair elections because our state constitution has been amended to require that. Um, the the U.S. Supreme Court did um, by a by a five four vote the other day say um, yes, state supreme courts can do that. Um, but there were four votes there to say that they can't. And 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 those four votes, you know, they were all among the votes, who, you know, who just a couple of years ago when when they said federal courts couldn't get involved. They said, but this can still be dealt with in the state courts. And 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 now that the state courts are actually trying to do just that and, and deal with it, you know, the, the, those same Republican justices are, are saying, oh, no, no, we didn't really mean that. State courts well, can't deal with that Well, listen, yeah, Professor, yeah. foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds. <laughs> right. I love so, This is what I love about the shape-shifting nature of the GOP of Republicans. They will do whatever is expedient. They don't care if it allows them to hold on to power and um, minority power, then they're all for it. And that's up to and including Mitch McConnell, every last one of them. They uh, say one thing one day and a different thing entirely the next day if it serves their purpose. There is, it's all shifting sands. It's remarkable to watch. In a way, you almost have to admire it, the audacity of it. You remember, uh, didn't Obama have that book, The Audacity of Hope? Yeah, yes. <laughs> this is like the audacity of grift. It really yes. is just like, <laughs> let's see what we could get away with because we've, the you know, thanks to the Federalist Society, we've stacked the courts up to and including the Supreme Court, and it's all going to come down to that, baby. So yeah. who was the uh, swing vote in this situation? Who was the fifth vote that... Uh, well, uh, inside uh, with uh, the Chief Justice Roberts, and and now it takes two Republicans. So actually, it was Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh did vote to allow the, uh, along with the three Democrats, voted to allow the state Supreme Court uh, uh, decisions to take effect. Um, so the, the the other four Republicans um, would would have not allowed that. Uh, and what does this have to do with the whole electors thing? Are they interconnected? Uh... Uh, topics or or what? You, you know, they're logically interconnected, but not formally interconnected. Um, you know, so so the 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 system by which we elect Congress members is just that we elect them um, in in districts, and the state legislatures get to draw the maps of the districts. Um, the system by which we elect presidents, which is what you're asking about with the electoral college, that's actually statewide elections. Those aren't done in districts. Uh, in Nebraska and Maine, they are, but in the other 48 states, you just have a winner-takes-all uh, statewide election. Um, so the, the issue with the Electoral College is a um, slightly different issue. Um, it's not as it's not as, as subject to manipulation by state legislatures, but the problem with the Electoral College is it has a massive um, built-in skew um, in favor of the Republicans uh, because a lot of the um, smaller states— are Republican states and and smaller states get weighted heavier in the Electoral College. Oh, it's it's enough to drive you insane. It really is. I mean, uh, how are we doing if you had to gauge the battle for um, democracy in this country? Because, I mean, I keep reading that democracy is on the ropes and then 
you read these other articles that talk about how, well, now because of uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine, democracies are on the rise now. Now people are like, oh, yeah, democracy. I forgot how cool it is. Yeah. You know, it's hard for me to make a prediction about how much this Ukraine invasion is going to reinvigorate democracy in America. But uh, it, it, it I, the first part of what you said, the, the health of our democracy, you know, right now, it, it's really pretty weak. You know, I mean, we, we don't have much that you know, we don't have much that resembles a democracy in the way our political system operates. The way we elect presidents is so undemocratic that even though the you know, if you go back for now more than more than 30 years, right, from the 1992 election to the to the 2020 election, the, the Democratic nominee got the most votes every time except once. I think when, when Bush ran for re-election in 2004, uh, he got he got the most votes. But but except for that one time, you know, we've only seen Democratic nominees get the most votes. It's not even that close most of the time. But yet half half the, the presidents have been um, uh, Republicans. And if we look at the Supreme Court, which is one of the three branches of government, you know, um, all, all the all the Republicans that are on that court, uh, except for Clarence Thomas, I guess, were um, appointed by um, uh, presidents who didn't get the most votes. And, and, and that's how they got on the Supreme Court. So that that the, 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 the lack of democracy in our presidential election gets leveraged into complete control of a very radicalized uh, Supreme Court. Um, and then in the and then in the Congress and the Senate, similarly, we, we don't really have competitive elections in those bodies uh, hardly at all. We have maps where the legislatures draw the maps and they draw the maps to get the results they want. And there's very little um, that the voters can do about it in, in most districts and in most states. Um, you have a handful of competitive districts here and there, and you have a handful of competitive states for U.S. Senate here and there. But but the overwhelming majority of Americans have no role in electing who represents them uh, in the in the Senate and the Congress, except for maybe whatever role they can play by voting in their party primaries. But by the time we get to the general election, you know, there, there's very little that gets resolved on, on Election Day. So I'd say it's not that great of a democracy. There's also other attributes of democracy that are weak here, not not just the um, electoral system, but the accountability of the government to the people, the transparency of the government to the people. You know, I'll tell you, even though I like everything that Biden is doing with Ukraine, um, you know, you'll notice that the Congress is really not being consulted in any meaningful way on any of this. They haven't taken any votes about any of it, really. Um, and, you know, that that kind of extreme consolidation of power um, in certain places in the executive branch, um, I think is is not great for a democracy. I'd rather I'd rather see, you know, as much as I don't like the way our Congress is composed, I'd still rather see um, pow power separated a little bit like the framers wanted um, than to see these huge accumulations of power in certain places. We could be, you know, we could find ourselves in a nuclear war soon, as you mentioned earlier, without the Congress even playing a role in that. How does that work? Well, uh, because the president's the commander in chief of the armed forces and, um, you know, we could get drawn into something. Yeah, I, I kind of hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, okay. I kind of hope that doesn't happen, too. But that's just really that's just kind of an, another undemocratic aspect of our system. But the thing is, Vladimir Putin is not uh, Nikita Khrushchev. Nikita Khrushchev uh, did a lot of blustering. and But back in 19... 62 when the cuban missile crisis occurred uh, it was still the soviet socialist republic uh, i don't know it was more powerful than russia right it had more uh it had more territory 
It had uh, probably uh, a more motivated military. It had uh, more influence in the world. Um, and that was, pr- that was a pretty hairy situation. Uh, it, it all worked out in the end, thanks to, uh, to Kennedy, who basically said, Hey, I know you got some stuff over there in Turkey. We're going to look the other way. And, uh, you know, you get your stuff out of Cuba, basically. And so uh, it all panned out. I don't know that Vladimir Putin is really a balanced individual. He seems unbalanced to me. I'm not a psychologist, and I know you're not supposed to make these judgments from afar. But based on uh, the way he murders his opponents, I would say <laughs> I would say he's not very he's not a balanced guy. And the, the amazing thing about this invasion that I read, Ken Katkin, uh, is that. It was decided by a very small number of people. Vladimir Putin and a few others decided to send a whole country to war. Does that amaze you? They say during the pandemic, he really got in the habit of like not talking to hardly anybody. And so I think his circles did get a lot smaller and they were small to begin with. And the idea that that a few a handful of people, let's say it's less than a dozen could send a a country the size of Russia to war. And then not only that, but has such a grip on the media and the information system in that country, they could make ordinary Russians believe that they were provoked into this war, that somehow this war is just and somehow it's noble. It's it's like uh, it's this, this bizarre upside down dystopia over there but the more you read about like russia russian tv and the russian media ecosystem the more amazing it seems like they're just being fed a steady diet of bullshit every day it's like as if over here in america all we had was fox news and there was nothing else yeah, I mean, and, in fact, I was I was I was looking into how some of that propaganda works and some of it it's so insidious. Like like they for instance, they they get, you know, TV news and it's like the state controlled TV news, but on the TV news, they do spend like, you know, 4 or 5 minutes on their 30 minute evening news talking about the the Russian military operations as they call it in in Ukraine and and by just kind of including it in the news as like just another story, you know, just just that very form of coverage makes it seem like it's not that big a deal. You know, you know, like they, they and then there's no access to independent media there anymore. They've shut down all the independent media stations. They've blocked all the foreign websites. So I guess some people there maybe can get on VPNs and, you know, have their computers think they're somewhere else. And then yeah. they can maybe still access some some outside media. But most people are just getting the state media. And it just it just sort of like, you know, gives them a very blinkered picture of what's going on. Um but yeah, Putin. I mean, he. I think you're right. He he is obviously an extremely un, undemocratic system, and that let him take this country into this war with very little buy-in. But I, I again, I think that could happen here. And and even though even though I trust President Biden very considerably more than I trust you know the Republicans in Congress or anything like that. On the other hand, I just don't think it's a healthy system for democracy that that so much power is reposited in 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 the in the person of the president when it comes to uh, these issues of war and peace. And that's really the way it's evolved. I mean, look at the way LBJ took us into the Vietnam War, and Congress really never declared war there. That's true. And uh, the Korean War was a police action; never yep. really uh, was declared a war. 
so that is definitely something to be worried about because we all know, uh, I mean, uh, there are going to be presidents who are uh, perhaps less diplomatic, let's put it mildly, than Joe Biden. I mean, what's really going on right now, and we, we owe a debt of gratitude to the hardworking men and women of the U.S. State Department, the one that was completely devalued and deconstructed under Donald Trump. He didn't give a shit about diplomacy, and he certainly didn't give a shit about the State Department and ambassadors or any anybody who was doing the hard, boring, behind-the-scenes work of sitting down with you know adversaries and allies and hammering out agreements that made the world more secure. So I would like to just give a debt of gratitude to those people while we can and, and to a, a lifelong creature of the Senate like Joe Biden who knows how to work those relationships and knows how to get stuff done that doesn't involve uh, threats of um, annihilation. So thank you to those people. But um, what happens next in terms of the presidency, uh, that's, that's a little further down the road. We could talk about that when the time comes. I'm just curious if you have any um, opinions, predictions about how this plays out, knowing that Vladimir Putin is not someone who's going to walk away at this point. He's not going to just uh, say, oh, it didn't work out. This is uh, this 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 is all or nothing for this guy. So what happens when he's feeling backed into a corner because now Russia's economy is devastated and people are starting to really uh, think maybe he shouldn't be at the top of the pyramid any longer yeah i mean uh you know i i it's it's hard it's so very hard i haven't polished my crystal ball enough to you know be able to see into the future but i don't think you know i think there's no there's no end game for putin where putin comes out on top in ukraine but the question of how long that could take you know i mean you know the the cold war you know, the, the West ended up winning it uh, entirely, but that took 40, 40 years. And, uh, um, you know, similarly, like the, the Afghan uh, adventurism at the end of the Soviet Union, um, it took a long time for the Afghans to drive the Soviets out of Afghanistan. But actually, the process of doing that did take down, did help take down the Soviet government. That's one of the reasons it fell, I think, was that the um, they had just, you know, squandered so much in terms of both financial capital and political capital you know, prosecuting this endless and losing war in, in Afghanistan. So I, I, I don't think Putin has a, a, an endgame that looks very good for him. But that's not to say that the, you know, the Russian military, which which does seem to be underperforming and the, the Ukrainian military seems to be overperforming. It's it's defeating all expectations that the Ukrainians have held on even this long. But but even still, I think the, the, the just the number of people uh, in the Russian army and the amount of resources that the Russian army has to bring to bear, you know, makes it seem like they could keep this up for a while. And I think the sanctions, as you mentioned, you know, they're 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 taking they're taking a toll on Russia. But the kind of toll that sanctions take on a country, you know, it doesn't it doesn't push them out in a week. You know, it, it, it'll it'll that'll be a slower process. So uh, sadly, I think we're going to probably just see a continuation of what we've been seeing where Ukraine just gets more and more pulverized and that this is going to go on for weeks and months right now. But I, I, I think it, it does end with an ind- independent Ukraine and a, and a greatly weakened um, uh, Putin if, if, he, if he can hang on at all. It, it's been compared to uh, the, you know, British occupation of Northern Ireland. There's going to be this insurgency. And oh, yeah. if Russia is going to occupy or attempt to control, 
Ukraine by occupying with troops. Those troops are going to be uh, the victims of uh, bombings and all kinds of uh, attempts at murdering them. So yeah, I think that's I think it's a good analogy. And in fact, you know, the Irish Republican Army, you know, of course, they did get um, some support, financial support and arms smuggling and stuff like that from 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 supporters they had. In, in the Irish diaspora, particularly in the United States. But if there's an insurgency like that in Ukraine, you're going to be talking about all the all the Western governments are actually going to be participating in helping, you know, arm up uh, um, the, the, the Ukrainian insurgents. So, you know, I think it'll be actually significantly more effective of an insurgency um, than than what the than what the the, uh, the IRA was ever able to muster in, in Ireland. This is where you start to get worried about Vladimir Putin and what he might do next, because he does have uh, nuclear weapons, including what they call tactical battlefield, quote unquote, nuclear weapons. He has disconnected uh, Chernobyl from the rest of the world. We can no longer monitor what's happening at Chernobyl. And so we don't know if there's going to if there's a radiation leak, if there's some kind of meltdown. So that's always interesting and exciting and fun. And um you begin to again wonder, like, at, does it at some point does it just think, fuck it, fuck it, <laughs> you know, fuck it? I'm just gonna be the guy. I'm gonna go down in history as the guy who did it. The hell with it. And yeah, I, ho- I hope not. <laughs> I hope not too. But I, I could see it. I can see it. I can hear it. So you know. It's like the song says, Ken Katkin, enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. Yeah. <laughs> you better live it up. That's all I could say. Well, uh, one thing I'm very glad about is that uh, President Biden has been, um, you know, even when there's been some pressure for him to do things like um, try to enforce a no-fly zone to help the Ukrainians, you know, I think he's resisted doing anything like that that could actually lead to direct armed, armed confrontation between American military personnel and Russian military personnel, because that's the kind of thing that leads to, to the kind of nuclear exchange that you're talking about. But, you know, I, I think I think I think that president has really been really, you know, just very, very careful about making sure that there's no situation where that could happen. Uh, my guest is Ken Katkin, constitutional scholar and a professor of law at the Salmon P. Chase School of Law at Northern Kentucky University, and also the host of Trash Flow Radio, which you can uh, find on Facebook. Look for Trash Flow Radio and at WAIFradio.org. Saturdays at 3 p.m. What do you have planned for tomorrow? I was trying to think about it. You know, the the last few um, Saturday, probably almost every Saturday this year, you know, there's been so many deaths, like people die during the week. And then that'll be like, oh, I can do something about that on Saturday um, this week. Thank goodness. It's the first week in a while where no, no, no musician that I'm interested in died this week so that sort of frees well me up when's a the last bit. time you checked yeah i guess i should check tonight but uh that's uh, kind of good yeah it's, it's it's jack kerouac's birthday tomorrow so maybe i could oh, do something interesting about that. jack yeah. kerouac he was an interesting cat huh do you have any interest in jack kerouac at all i mean did you care did you well you know he made a number of sound recordings mm-hmm. so you know that that i i'm gonna go through those tonight i i don't know him well enough to to, to yeah didn't tell you steve right allen have him on or some damn thing back in the day he was he was like he was uh probably the world's best known beatnik yeah. back in the day jack kerouac 
for the kids. Yeah, and, and he put out know. you know LPs because there were spoken word LPs, but right. he, there was an interest in like beat poetry that you could sell you know to larger audiences. Didn't he just do them with music too, like word jazz type of shit? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. stuff. Yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff. Right from yeah. Lowell, Massachusetts. Apparently, right. he had a very small penis. We don't know. <laughs> I mean, is, is that's, that what Allen Ginsberg said? That's what said. That's yeah. what's been said. Uh, let me pivot to uh, something out of your neck of the woods, Ohio, Cleveland. Uh, this week, a court declared that Isaiah Andrews, 84 years old, can seek damages from the state of Ohio for spending more than half of his life in prison after being wrongly convicted of killing his wife. Good. This guy spent 45 years in prison. And as it turns out, the Cleveland police, whopsie daisy, withheld evidence at his trial that would have basically exonerated him. So now that he's sick and uses a wheelchair, he's going to sue your uh, state, Ohio, for millions upon millions of dollars. How many millions can he get for being wrongfully in prison for 45 years, Ken Captain? What do you think? Well, it's it's a it's I think I, I don't know the answer in dollars, but I think the way you'd go about trying to prove prove out how much he could get if you're representing him, uh, you 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 know try to have some uh, estimate of you know what would he have been doing during those years if he if he hadn't have been in prison. Um, so you know if 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 there could be some showing that he would have um, he probably hadn't gone to college I suppose, but you know maybe he would have gone to college or maybe he would have been able to get into some union and have some kind of career you know in the in the skilled trades or something like that. You know documenting out the lost income will be a big part of it. And then and then documenting out um, the the, you know, some way of trying to quantify the pain and suffering of being in prison that whole time, you know, will be a part of it. Um, I I would think he could probably get like five million, five to ten million would be my guess. But that's just that's just I'm just ballparking it. I I could be way wrong, man. That doesn't buy you back 45 years. No, I can tell you, uh, um, you know, actually, I could tell you another story from my neck of the woods from Kentucky rather than Ohio. Um, which somewhat relates to the nuclear war stuff that you were just talking about. You want to hear a story? Sure. So one of my students, um, I, you know, I teach in the law school in, in northern Kentucky, and uh, one of my recent graduates, she's not a current student, but uh, one of my recent graduates was murdered last week, and this is becoming like oh a big— Oh, my God, I'm so sorry to hear it. Yeah, I mean, and, and she was a good student, and I, I knew her pretty well. And but the but the reason I'm telling the story now is the 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 murderer was the motive is related to fears of nuclear war um, caused by this Ukraine crisis and and so so what happened was um, my, my student uh, her her father was a Kentucky state legislator and sort of a fairly well known person in, in their part of of eastern Kentucky and. Uh, the, 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 where she where she grew up, um, her her father's house out in eastern Kentucky was like in one of these areas where there's a lot of land, and he had built a, a bunker under the house, like a doomsday bunker. Um, so now now that all his kids are basically grown up, um, he's living on this compound in the middle of nowhere, and there's a doomsday bunker underneath it. Um, and he decided to sell the place. He didn't need he didn't need it anymore to be out there. And so he uh, he's got his 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 mountaintop um, uh, compound, you know, listed in the real estate listings and, and the real estate listings say this, 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 this mountaintop co- compound has a uh, doomsday bunker, 26 feet underground. It can withstand a, a nuclear blast or oh a biological weapons attack or this or that. And so, so th- this real estate listing starts drawing uh, attention and soon like the, the daily newspaper in Lexington, um, 
the the Lexington Herald has an article about it. You know, do you want to? You know, want do you need a doomsday bunker? Well, there's this real estate listing and blah blah blah. So meanwhile, um, some 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 deranged uh, Kentuckian is like reading these articles in the paper. He's a 23 year old guy, and uh, and and then the Ukraine crisis starts. And and this this 23 year old guy who's you know freaked out by the Ukraine crisis, he decides that he does need a doomsday bunker because there's going to be a, a a nuclear exchange soon, and he wants to be 26 feet underground when that happens. But you know he's got no money to buy this compound, which is still like an active real estate listing. Um, so he decides he's going to steal it. Um, and so he goes up there in the middle of the night and uh, uh, tries to murder everybody inside. Um, in the thought that he's going to, you know, kill everybody there and then take over the compound. And he did succeed in, in murdering my former student, um, her father, who, whose house it was and who was in the house. He heard that shooting and he, he had guns, too. And he came out and there was a shootout um, and uh, he ran the guy off, basically. So the the, the perpetrator got away. Um, but um it was. I think there was a, several different ways it was easy for the police to quickly figure out who the guy was, um, including the fact that um, the perpetrator's mother called the police and said, uh, "I think that was probably my son that did that." And that and that. And by the way, be, we bought him the weapons. Yeah, <laughs> she didn't say that. In fact, she said she'd Ugh. been trying for weeks to get him committed to a mental hospital, but in Kentucky they don't really do that, you know. And so it's, in the uh, United States they don't really do that. We don't give a shit about people's mental health. Yeah, come on, so that, suck yeah. it up. Yeah, come on, I mean, you big pansy, suck it up. And that's that's even that's even more that way in these kind of low tax, you know, um, libertarian leaning. Oh, states, it's so horrifying. Know? We're so fucking backwards. It's not even funny yeah. when it comes to so, so many different things. But yeah, so and the mother, she'd not only been trying to get him committed, but she'd also been calling about other crimes that he'd been committing, you know, and saying, I think that was my son that did this. I think that was my son that did that. And she called, you know, when she heard about this murder, which became like a famous murder. But it does seem that the motive for this murder and they caught the guy now and he actually confessed. And he and he said that the reason he did it was because he just was needed to get into that compound. And he um, uh, so he's he's confessed that by now and that he he just was so freaked out by the possibility of a nuclear exchange that he thought his his only chance to live now is to just go um, get into a compound. And if the only way to do that was to to murder the people who own the compound and take over their house, then that's what he was going to do. And I, 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 I think we're going to see more of this type of stuff. I think between the pandemic and now the anxiety of World War III, I do think more people are going to be losing their minds, freaking out. And if there are people that had mental illness, whether diagnosed or undiagnosed or they have it, this is not good for them, especially if they're not getting the treatment that they need. And again, we don't care about mental health. As a matter of fact, at the State of the Union address, President Joe Biden made an issue of talking about how we need to make mental health as important as physical health in terms of health insurance and coverage, because you can't. You know, you, you there's no money in most health insurance plans for any kind of mental health. They might pay for six sessions if you had a traumatic incident, something happened, you have to go to see a shrink. Oh, we'll pay for six of those because by then you're better. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's so stupid. And and I, I tell you, it's not only stupid, it's economically unwise because you talk about the impact of uh, people's mental health issues on the economy. It's pretty profound. 
And so if you just did something to address it, you would be having an, some kind of impact on the GDP. Which brings me to my last question for you tonight, Professor Ken Kacken. I had to, uh, I called up my, my cousin recently down in Virginia. Uh, that should be the first clue to, to you that something's going to go wrong <laughs> during this phone call. But um, my cousin JD, we, we grew up together. We were pretty close. At some point, uh, you know, I went off and did my thing. He did his. We didn't see each other for many, many years. But in those intervening years, I, you know, he's, uh, his political beliefs, let's say, are different than mine. And I, and I called him up to uh, just get caught up and see how he was doing. And he used the Ukrainian invasion as a pretext to, uh, as I texted him later, treat me like his liberal punching bag and interrogate me and ask me all these questions about how come the stock market was doing fine when Donald Trump was president? How come the gas prices were low when Donald Trump was president? And I, and he, every time I would try to answer, he would interrupt me, talk over me. And I finally said to him, the data show that uh, the economy in the United States has always fared better under Democratic presidents than it has under Republican presidents. That's just a fact. The GDP, uh, job creation, a host of other indicators, they've all done better under Democrats than Republicans. So just keep flapping your gums. But he, I eventually had to hang up on him. And my question to you, because you, you strike me as a fairly liberal person, Ken, Katkin, uh, you must have relatives who treat you like a liberal punching bag from time to time, or is it just in my family? <laughs> I have some of that on my, uh, in my wife's family. I actually, there actually isn't any of that in my, in my, in my among my parents or siblings or cousins, but uh, okay. yeah, I, I get that because I'm married. Oh my God. What do you do? What do you do? <laughs> you know, it's different you know? when it's a relative by marriage, because like, I think in that case, I don't engage. You know, if if it was one of my own relatives, um, I I probably would engage more. But if it's a if it's like a mother-in-law or something like that, I just feel like I don't want to get in an argument with my mother-in-law, so I'm just going to not engage with this. You know, if you get into an argument with your mother-in-law, you could always just start singing "Mother-in-Law" by Ernie K. Doe and see how that goes <laughs> over. The worst person I know, mother-in-law, mother-in-law, until your mother-in-law walks out of the kitchen. You know, just keeps she just turns around and walks out. That would. That would tend to stop any, you know, uh, any conversation with a mother-in-law. But this was this was unpleasant, and I, yeah. I I'm losing cousins left and right. My I, mother-in-law, like she'll she leaves Fox News on twenty four seven, and she's old enough that she can't hear it that well. So she turns it on pretty loud twenty four seven, and so I, you know. Uh, I, I don't it, I don't have to talk to her about it. You know, it's like she wouldn't hear me anyhow. It needs, it needs to be louder than that for, for her to hear. Yeah. Well, J.D. is around my age. So, you know, he's still uh, pretty fit. And uh, I, I don't know about his brain. His, I don't know. I'm not sure how that's working because based on the conversation I just had with him, is like I, I and I can't take it. As much as I want to keep some kind of family connection, at this point, I'm like, I don't. there's not enough time in the day. I, I, I don't want to be yelled and screamed at because of my political beliefs you know that's not what i called you about but anyway thank you for that we're out of road ken katkin is on tomorrow at 3 p.m on waif radio waifradio.org is where you can go to stream the show and he doesn't know if any musicians are going to die between now and 3 p.m tomorrow so he might have to uh, very quickly scramble and yeah 
come up with a tribute of something like that. To, but, to, uh, maybe to Jack Kerouac. But also, you know what? I'm, I'm going to play a lot of brand new records tomorrow, too, because I haven't been playing enough new records lately. So that'll be the other thing I do tomorrow. That's the one area that, you know, I am very lax on, unfortunately, is new music. So I'll tune in and I'll oh, listen. All right. So uh, thanks again, Ken. I always appreciate you joining me here on the program. It, it is great fun. And anytime you ask if I can make it, I'll be here. And thanks for doing it on short notice, too. I appreciate that as well. So uh, take care. Ken Katkin, who, again, Trash Flow Radio tomorrow at 3 p.m. Hey, I'm singing over. I'm talking over myself. This is me singing Eve of Destruction back in, uh, what the hell year was that? I don't know. The last time it looked like the world world was going to end. Thanks again, everybody, for listening tonight. Hound Howls, 3 p.m. Sundays, Crashing the Party, 5 p.m. Sundays. This is thehoundnyc.com. This program is Aerial View. You can hear a replay on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. It becomes a podcast in between now and Tuesday. Available wherever you get your podcast. If the button is pushed, there'll be no running away. There'll be no one to save with the world in a grave. Take a look around you, boy. It's bound to scare you, boy. And you tell me over and over and over again, my friend. Ah, you don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. I don't have a harmonica. Yeah, my mug's so mad, feels like coagulating. I'm sitting here just contemplating. I can't twist the truth, it knows no regulation. Handful of senators don't pass legislation. And marches alone won't bring integration. This whole crazy world is just too frustrating. When human respect is disintegrating, then you tell me over and over and over again my friends i oh, don't believe you're on the eve of destruction think of all the hate There is in Red China, then take a look around to Selma, Alabama. Or you may leave here for four days in space, but when you return, it's the same old place. The pounding of the drums, the pride and disgrace. You can bury your dead, but don't leave a trace. Hate your next door neighbor, but don't forget to This is Eartha Kate again, back to remind you to take your belongings with you and to get a receipt from the driver. Uh.
out of here, big day. Wow.